0: praise God good morning everybody thank you I know you can't see behind the mask but I'm really smiling and laughing about it It was an accident I mean it I I didn't really mean to throw the ball at my wife (laughs) (laughs) we (laughs) were we were were having fun (laughs) praise God well welcome everybody glad you're here this morning we have been uh, doing a series on uh, going verse by verse in the uh, second letter of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians, and uh, this morning we're going to be looking at chapter 3. Uh, just by way of introduction, remember in chapter 1, Paul wrote and he talked about comfort. How many? Remember how many times the word comfort was in that? one chapter at least six times comfort consolation he said he had a clean conscience before them not a wonderful thing to have a clean conscience praise god he asked for their prayers especially how many know that we need to lift up leaders and pastors in prayer before god and have because from my own point of view i need god's help to put sermons and messages together because uh, I know that some of you are mature Christians. Some of you may not be mature Christians. But I and Pastor Wayne, when we preach and teach, we need to be able to be speaking for God and not just our own opinions. Can you say amen? He also talked about us travel plans. And then he gives, a, at the end of the chapter, this amazing uh, uh, phrase. He says that God has established us. It's God who establishes us. And has given us his Holy Spirit. In the old uh, uh, King James Version, it's called, he has given us the earnest. And if you've ever done any real estate, you know that when you're going to go buy a property, they ask you for earnest money, a down payment. That's non-refundable. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Isn't that great? The Holy Spirit is non-refundable. God doesn't give it to you and then take it away. Praise God. He gives it to us and he establishes us with it. It's a guarantee. Then in chapter 2, he explains why he didn't come to visit, because it probably was going to be a a bad scene. And he sent the reasons why he sent his first letter, and he said that you need to forgive this offending individual, because if you don't, it gives an inroad for the enemy, and we're not ignorant of the enemy's plans. Can you say amen? Then he says he went to Troas, and there was an open door. He had an opportunity to preach, but he was upset because Titus was supposed to meet him there, and Titus wasn't there. So he left and went to Macedonia, finally met up with him. Titus came and told him the great news how his first letter was received, and they got everything straightened out pretty much. And then he says this phrase Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph. And he talks about how we um, smell. <laughs> We're a fragrance, a sweet-smelling fragrance to those that are saved. But we're the fragrance of death to those that are not saved. How many ever smelt a dead body? They're awful. <laughs> so, dear beloved believers in God, when you uh, come into the room and there's uh, unsaved people there, or you're at work and there's unsaved people there, you <laughs> give off a fragrance to them and they, you'll wonder why they're irritated. Well, praise God. That might be why. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> However, those that reject the gospel, it's not because of bad preaching. It's not because the word of God is corrupt. It's because they don't want to hear it because it's death to them. I remember a young man, I told him, uh, you know, you need to get saved. And he says, you mean I won't be able to go dancing and drinking anymore? I said, well, you won't want to because you'll have something better. He didn't get it. Unfortunately, uh, he went his own way. And then Paul says, you know, our success in the ministry depends on God. Our sufficiency is from God. Paul didn't go around saying, I am such a great preacher that you guys all need to listen to me and you guys all need to repent and you all need to receive the message and the fullness of the message. Paul's not ever saying, I'm the best preacher in the world. He's saying, in fact, they they said that in one of the places in the New Testament, Paul's appearance and his manner of speaking aren't very impressive. We're not impressed with Paul, but his letters, whoa. His letters are something else, but in person, pfft, ha, it's got to be God. Can you say amen? <laughs> in chapter 2, verse 17, oh, excuse me, that's uh, <clears throat> part of my uh, message in chapter 3 here. So, let's see, that the right button. There we are, I got the right button. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Paul writes and he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or for you? It was a common practice, I read, by about the year 400, that if you were a minister of the gospel and you were going to go to another place to preach, you had to have a letter of recommendation from your bishop or your pastor or your overseer, or they wouldn't receive you at the other church. It's a you're a fraud, because nobody's recommending you. But Paul says, do we need letters of recommendation to you, Corinthians? Don't you remember us? He says, and then he says in the uh, it says, Do we commend ourselves? <clears throat> this is an interesting word because it literally means, it comes from the it's a Greek word, uh or something like that. It means to approve, literally means to stand with, to place together, or to introduce one person to another, but especially to represent that person as worthy. But Paul, what does he say? I don't need no letters, because you guys are our letters. The changed lives that you guys have over there in Corinth. How many of you know what Corinth was all about? It was like Las Vegas multiplied. It was, it was because of where it was. Because of the commerce that came through. It was money. It was all the stuff that Las Vegas is and more. And Paul says in his first letter. In chapter 6 verses 9 and 10. He's got a list of sin sinners. Such were some of you. This, that, and the other thing. But it says in verse 10 and 11. That you were washed. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. In other words, how many know when you're born again? You don't do what you used to do because God has changed you. God has changed our, our desires and our natures. And I believe it's Psalm 37. It says that He will give you the desires of your heart. And when your heart is right with God, because you know that you're saved and forgiven and justified as if you had never sinned, the desires of your heart are changed. Things. There was an old song many years ago. There was a, 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 a A street preacher named Reverend Gary Davis. He was a blind man. He uh, was discovered during the 60s as a folk musician. He was a very good musician for a blind man. He used to sing and preach in the street corners of Harlem, New York. And one of his songs, he said, there's a great change since I'm reborn. Things I used to do, I don't do no more. Praise God. Can you say amen? That's the gospel, a changed life. So Paul says that we are not, in verse 17 of chapter 2, we, that is him and the other ministers of the gospel, are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word. But we are men of sincerity, commissioned by God, and in the sight of God we speak in Christ. In Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, Peter warns against false prophets and teachers. And in the King James Version, he uses these words. He says that these people, through covetousness, will with fake words make merchandise of you. How many have ever <laughs> seen on TV, or the, I forget the fellow's name, but he used to preach on TV, I've got what you got, want, and you've got what I want, so send me your money, and I'll send you what I got. The guy was a scammer. Then you say Amen? Making merchandise of the gospel, I'm always kind of suspicious about uh, some of the things you see on TV. Oh, our latest book, for the minimum uh, donation of such and such, we'll send you this. So why we'll not just send it for free? How about if we just read our Bibles and pray? <laughs> Can you say Amen? Hallelujah. So Paul says. We don't need letters of recommendation. You are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by everyone, by all. Here's something I found in uh, Vine's expository dictionary. A gentleman by the name of J.V. Bartlett is quoted from Hastings Bible Dictionary. He says, a letter is virtually one half of an imaginary conversation but it has the reader's interests at heart. And this is the definition in the definition of an epistle. An epistle has a general aim. It's basically an epistle means to whom it may concern. Paul in some of his letters, he says, I want this letter that I sent you guys to be read in all the other churches. That's an epistle. A letter is more personal. Funny thing is, or not funny, the amazing thing is Peter calls Paul's letters part of the gospel, part of the scriptures, part of God breathed, inspired scriptures. Isn't that awesome? Here, Peter, Paul just writes a letter to these people, and Peter the apostle, the guy who denied Jesus, the guy who walked on water, the guy who was restored by Jesus. Jesus tells him, "When you're converted, go and deal with your brethren and." get them saved too. Here's Peter, and he recognizes the power of Paul's words that they are inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Corinthians changed lives. Our letter of recommendation, their changed lives were the best evidence of Paul's apostleship. Paul had to defend his apostleship saying, I am an apostle. Called by Christ. I'm not one of the original twelve. So what? This is the proof that I am an apostle because I went to Corinth and nobody else there was preaching the gospel and a bunch of people got saved. Hallelujah. And he says, You show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. Paul's the postman. Here's the information, guys. Here's the letter. They received it and it's written not with ink. But with the Spirit of the Living God, not on tablets of stone like the Ten Commandments, but on tablets of human hearts. It's what's in your heart. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And then he says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. This confidence, the Apostle Paul and his co workers, they believed that when they came and they shared the gospel with somebody, they were going to receive it as not from men, but from God. What confidence can you have when you try and influence someone or you try and persuade someone using your own reasoning? I can tell you from my experience that when I received Christ on Thanksgiving Day, 1981, from that day forward, I haven't been the same. God's changed me. God's still changing me. God's taken things out of me that weren't supposed to be there and replaced them with other things that are supposed to be there in the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. Such is the confidence. Paul's successful soul winning and ministry was the basis of his trusting God. I kind of got this funny impression in my mind. Paul goes to Corinth and I remember he was in Athens and he sees all the statues and he sees the one about the unknown God and he starts preaching about Jesus. And then he gets to the resurrection of the dead and all the philosophers are "Ha oh, ha! now we know you're joking. But Paul, I get this picture in my mind. He goes to Corinth and he preaches, hey, this works. People are getting saved. I spoke the word of God and I showed them from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah and they believed it. It works. <laughs> Praise God. We understand not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us, but our sufficiency is of God. It's from God. It's God who's doing it. God who's opening people's minds and hearts to receive the gospel. Hallelujah. We understand that God is doing the work. Paul knows he is not a specifically a skillful preacher of the new covenant, but he's talking about any and the. the uh, where were we? Ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. And he's talking and he's writing. He's saying the old covenant, the Old Testament, has got all the stuff you need for the New Testament got everything in there that points to the New Testament. The old covenant was the law. It showed what sin was or is and that results in death. But the new covenant is by grace. Ministers of the new covenant, the grace of God, which is life and life eternally. In John chapter 1 verse 14, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. And in parentheses, he says, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. What he's talking about is Peter, James, and John, the writer of John's gospel. They saw with their own eyes Jesus transfigured the full majesty and glory of God up there on the mountain. He says, I saw that with my own eyes, but I understood, he's saying, that he's jesus is full of grace and truth the letter kills but the spirit gives life jameson fawcett and brown's commentary in the bible on this particular verse says something very interesting to me even though the law exposed sin and showed sin for what it is there was an element of holiness that god was laying out his expectation of how we should live can you say amen even though it brought death, thank God that Jesus came and brought life. Hallelujah. But if you understand anything about the old covenant and the new covenant, the old covenant was not supposed to be permanent. The own, the Jewish scriptures, the Prophets Ezekiel and Jeremiah prophesied. God says, I'm going to make a new covenant. I'm going to put my spirit within you. I'm going to give you a new heart. They prophesied, their own prophets tell the Jewish people that the old covenant is not permanent. That I got a new one coming. And that was Jesus. Hallelujah. What about the Gentiles? <clears throat> well, Guess what happened in Acts chapter 13? Paul and Barnabas go on their first missionary journey. They go into a city called Antioch of Pisidia, which is in central Turkey, and they preach in the synagogue. And there was a bunch of Gentiles in the synagogue too, and after they leave the synagogue service, they say, hey, explain that to us a little more. The next Sunday, almost the whole city comes to the church. Can you imagine? That would be great, man. I mean, we'd still have to do the uh, COVID protocol, but imagine this place being packed with people because they want to hear the gospel. The whole, almost the whole city shows up. And the Jewish people that begin to oppose Paul's preaching and blaspheme it even says. And then Paul says, okay, you guys count yourselves unworthy to receive eternal life. Fine, you reject it, we're going to the Gentiles. And Paul the Apostle becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. So we're grafted in. But listen, it's only going to be for a time because there is a, uh, a scripture that says that the opportunity for the Gentiles to be saved is going to come to an end. And we'll get to that later. So the letter kills, but the spirit Gives life. Life and life more abundantly, Jesus came to give us. Let's go to the next scripture. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, this is talking about the Ten Commandments, carved with the finger of God, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Now, this is kind to me. This is kind of a complicated uh, statement here because a couple of things. Excuse me. We are at. Oh, here we go. Okay, the glory. What is the glory? If you know the story in Exodus chapter 34, God comes down on the mountain. And there's earthquakes, there's flashes of lightning, there's all kinds of noise, and a cloud covers the mountain, and the people are scared to death. It's talking about the uh, exhibition, so to speak, of God's presence. The law, John chapter 1, verse 17 says, The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It does not mean, according to Finnistech, that there was no law before Moses. There was. How many know? Paul says those that haven't heard the gospel, they have the law written in their hearts. What about people that never heard about Jesus? The Bible says that they have the law written in their hearts. So before the law of Moses came into existence, there were laws. There was good and evil. Can you say amen? What did God tell Adam and Eve? Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because before they did that, all they knew was good. But now... After that, they know good and evil. So how do, you, how do you determine what's evil? You have to have some standards or law. Hallelujah. It doesn't mean that there was no grace and truth before Jesus Christ either. By the way, there are 930 commands in the New Testament. How many knew that? Ah, today's trick question. How many know? Now you know there are 930 commandments or commands in the New Testament. Under the Old Testament, people were able to receive partial grace. But under the New Covenant, we receive the fullness of grace which came by Jesus Christ. In other words, it's available to anyone and everyone. Can you say amen? Glory to God. He talks about this. He says, uh, where did it go? The ministry of death. Let's look at that for just a moment. That is, there was thunder, there was fire, the presence of God, and the people quaked. And Moses, when he came out of that, his face was shining, and the people freaked out. Speak, you know, that's the vernacular. They freaked out. They got upset. They uh, didn't know what to do. His face was shining. They couldn't look at him. They said, "Man, this is different. We've never seen anything like this." Hallelujah. The ministry of death. We uh, heard a uh, report from uh, Overland Missions um, that uh, years ago, I think it was 20 years time had passed between the time this couple had been sent into the depths of Brazil. Nobody heard from them for 20 years or so. When they finally made contact with them, These people that had gone in as missionaries had established a work for God. And he says that the Christians in the area, their their skin kind of glowed a little bit. They were called glowing people. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus body got even more glorious and glowing. So we're talking about here, the Ministry of Death to back up just for a second. And we call, it's called the ministry of death because we know that the law um, gives birth to sin and sin gives birth to death. So we want to look at this, the glory, that was the presence and the magnificence of God that was transferred to Moses and was all over his face. But notice that it was being brought to an end. In other words, the Old Testament was not, or the Old Covenant was not supposed to be permanent, as I said earlier. It was being brought to an end. It was not designed to be permanent. And so he says that the New Covenant, the ministry of the Spirit, which is the New Covenant, will have more glory. Hallelujah. More glory. He's Got an argument here, so to speak. He goes from the lesser to the greater, and he does this in the next verse also. The work of the ministry, Albert Barnes says, is the most important job anyone can have in the world. Everybody remember Billy Graham? After World War II, the president of the United States asked him to be the ambassador from the United States to Japan. He refused it's like, I believe it's Hezekiah. They're building the wall. It says, I've got more important things to do. I'm building God's kingdom. He would be, have been lowering his self to become the ambassador. I mean, that's a great honor to be the ambassador from the United States, but he's an ambassador, and so are you and I, of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. The uh, The ministry, it says here, was glorious, and it, It uh, it sorry was made in glory. That's what I'm trying to get at. Moses went up to the mountain. God's presence is up there. God takes the stones and he writes with his finger on it. It was made. The law was made in glory. That's the point I was trying to make. Praise God. So we beheld his glory. And now. There's more glory more glory, more honor. It's the Spirit of God. And then in verse 9 to 11, he goes from the lesser to the greater again, the lesser the ministry of condemnation, which is the law, to the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. So he goes from the lesser, the ministry of condemnation, to the ministry of righteousness that is transferred to us by faith in Jesus Christ in this case, was once had glory as come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. This particularly means like an eclipse. Anybody ever see an eclipse before? You can't look right at it. I've seen pictures of them. You can make a hole in a piece of paper and shine the eclipse through the piece of paper to another piece of paper, and you can see it. When the moon... Goes in front of the sun and is completely covered, and eclipsed. There's a, I forget what they call it—the aurora or something—the glow behind it. It's, I mean, you can't look at it with your eyes; it'll burn your eyeball out. But it's awesome. Here, Paul's saying that the new covenant is more glorious than the old covenant. It's more spectacular. It's greater because. <clears throat> First of all, it's accompanied by glory, by glory. But the reason that the New Testament or the New Covenant is superior or surpasses the old is first of all, salvation can be accomplished in opposed in opposition to the law. The law just condemns us. Secondly, the ministry of righteousness as displayed on the cross shows the divine character of God. God cannot just overlook sin. God had to do something about it. But it shows that God is just, God is merciful, and God is benevolent. The law only showed justice. In addition to that, the reason that the new covenant is superior is because God Himself came to earth and became a human being. I remember talking to a Native American one time, one of his uh, family relatives. uh, passed away and he came to work on a Monday and he was pretty upset and I said listen the thing about Jesus is Jesus it's God coming to earth it's God reaching out to us it's God becoming a human like us and it's God reaching out it's not like religion where men reach out reaches out to God it's God reaches out to us Hallelujah. Jesus made an atonement. On the day that he died, the sun was darkened and there was earthquake. And not only that, but there was a resurrection and an ascension later. And the result of the New Testament is justification. The law shows us, how makes us guilty. Grace or uh, the ministry of righteousness. <coughs> excuse me. The ministry of righteousness gives us pardon, peace, hope, Comfort and triumph. The ministry of righteousness gives us pardon. Glory to God. I don't know about you, but there's things in my past that I don't want anybody to know about because God has forgiven them for one thing. And I'm sure some of you have things in your life that you don't want anybody to know about. But thank God we're pardoned and forgiven and set free. Because it gives us peace. Can you say amen? It gives us hope. It gives us comfort. And it gives us triumph because we know through Christ we can overcome. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. God is good. Can you say amen? Glory to God. Let's go on. Since we have such hope, Glory to God. What is our hope? Our hope is the resurrection from the dead. Our hope is eternity with God himself. Our hope is that when it's all said and done and it's all over and we slip into eternity, we will be with God forever and ever Our hope is based on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in verse 8. It's based on the ministry of justification in verse 9. That when you receive Christ, it's just as if you had never sinned. God takes our sins and puts them in the sea of forgetfulness. He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. Praise God. And it's permanent. Hallelujah. It's permanent. Jesus died once for all and rose again from the dead for our justification. In Romans chapter 10, verse 4, it says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul could boast and say, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He could say, I said to the keeping of the law, I was blameless. But then he says, oh, that's useless before God because Jesus is even greater than the law. Can you say amen? Lord of God. It's a hope is a desire for an object and an expectation for obtaining it. Something good. In Hebrews chapter, 10, chapter 7, sorry, verses 18 through 19, it says, On the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, There's the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. We are very bold, Paul says. We are very bold. In other words, what he's saying is we use plainness of speech, but don't use big words. Before I uh, got saved, I studied to be a Catholic priest for about a year. and I failed out miserably. Went to college. They gave me five books to read over the summer. So I bought the skinniest book and I tried to read that and it was some philosophy I had to every page I had to get a dictionary and what the heck does that word mean? <laughs> what use? What good is this philosophy if you can't even understand it The gospel's simple can you say amen you can explain it to kids hallelujah. He says, we're very bold, we use plainness of speech in chapter four verse two he says, we don't tamper with God's word in verse 13. It literally means <coughs> we don't use a disguise. Yes, we have masks on, but these are not to disguise us. Hallelujah. Listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. Why people don't receive the gospel? Because he prophesies for God. It says, Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. In chapter 4, verse 4 of this same letter, Paul says the God of this world has blinded their minds. It takes a miracle of God to open people's eyes. Can you say amen? I remember reading the Bible before I got saved, and all it did was make me feel bad. Man, the wages of sin is death. Why did God just kill me? I didn't understand the other part. It says the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hallelujah. We don't tamper with God's word. We, and my desire and Pastor Wayne's desire is to be able to make it plain and simple. Hallelujah. Not like Moses who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze on the outcome of what was being brought to an end. This is talking about that Old Testament again. The Old Covenant. It wasn't permanent. And, and they couldn't look at Moses. And even now, they read those scriptures, the Old Testament, they read them in the synagogues. How many of them can read? Isaiah chapter 53. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's talking about the Messiah. But God has to reveal that to them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul writes, he says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. There are people who claim to be spiritual, but they have nothing to do with the Holy Spirit of God. There's only one Holy Spirit. I was getting a haircut one time, and the two haircut ladies were talking about their spirit guide. And I got done with my haircut, and I got out of there, and I thought, man, spirit. I almost told the lady, you know what? There's only one Holy Spirit, but. Somehow I got the impression that they weren't going to receive anything because they had their spirit guides to tell them what to do. Okay, you guys believe in that. I'm going the other way. I never went back there. Hallelujah. Let's move on to verse 14. Their minds, as the Jewish people, were hardened. For to this day when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Paul says that this is, their, their minds are hardened or blinded. They, didn't, they cannot receive or perceive or understand what is talking, being talked about in their own scriptures. In Romans chapter 11, verse 25, Paul writes, he says, I show you a mystery, or this is a mystery, a partial hardening, has come upon Israel, and this is the verse I was talking about earlier, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In other words, there's going to be a day when no more Gentiles get saved, and Paul says, all Jewish people will get saved. Do you hear what Paul was saying in Romans? He said, I would rather be unsaved so that the Jewish people, my brethren, could be saved. How many of you are willing to give up your salvation for somebody? Not me. (laughs) I'm sorry. I want to go to heaven. (laughs) But Paul, that was his attitude. Sorry, maybe I should be willing to do that. Can you say amen? For freedom, Christ has set us free. God tries to make it simple to us. Verse 16, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. When Paul got saved on the road to Emmaus, he was blinded. And God spoke to the apostle or the disciple Ananias to go pray for him. And it says when he prayed for him, scales were removed from his eyes. They fell off, so to speak. That's the only thing you could describe it as. When Jesus touches a person, when the Holy Spirit deals with a person, God opens their eyes. How many of you have ever been reading your Bible and you've read it front to back ten times and you're reading it again and all of a sudden you see a verse and, oh, I never saw that before. Whoa! That's the Spirit of God. That's the living Word of God. God wants to do that all the time to us. Can you say amen? Praise God. God is good. That's... Read in verse 16. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed and God opens their eyes. Now the Lord is the spirit, the Holy Spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty. So I looked this up. It denotes freedom of access to the presence of God. Listen to what I read about the Greek people. If you were a slave in ancient Greek, you did not get a paycheck. That's what slavery is. You don't get a paycheck. But the owner of the slave could take the slave to a temple of one of the gods and pay for that person, that slave, to be set free. And what that that literally did is he would sell his slave to that god. And now that slave was free and nobody could buy him again. That's salvation. Jesus sets us free and the devil can't buy us back. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? We're set free never to be enslaved again. Cannot be sold again. For freedom, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 7. God speaking, or the prophet Isaiah is speaking, says, God will swallow up or destroy on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil. That is spread over all nations. You know why people aren't getting saved? Because there's a veil over all the nations. But God promises here. That he's going to destroy it. And he's going to open people's eyes. And verse 8. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The veil is removed. When a person turns to the Lord. Can you say amen? And then we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed to the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Pastor Wayne did a series just recently on the the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one. If you want to get some understanding, all of our sermons are recorded, by the way. And go back online and listen to it. It's the same being. Different personality. The Lord and the Spirit and the Father. Hallelujah. Praise God. Do not be submitting again to yoke of slavery. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 12, we see dimly in a mirror now, but then we'll see face to face. On Psalm 84 verse 7. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. As we go through life, we go from one degree of glory to another. We're being transformed in our daily lives. Hopefully, you're not the same as you were the day before. Every morning, His mercies are new. Daily, He loads us with benefits. God is on the move. I like that song we sang about, Our God is a Lion. Are you all familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia? The lion in there is Jesus. And as Jesus is taking off from the scene, the girl asks one of the other characters, is he a tame lion? Oh, oh no, he's not a tame lion. <laughs> it's a lion of Judah. Thank God that we have an enemy, but Jesus has defeated him. Hallelujah. Praise God. So verse 18 is the last one of chapter 3. This comes from the Lord. The Lord is changing us. The Lord is still working on us. It's God who's at work in you and I, both to will and to do His good pleasure. It's up to us to cooperate with God. Hallelujah. But thank God that He's gracious. Can you say amen? Thank God that He wants to help us. Can you say amen? Lord to God, let's pray. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you this morning for your grace and mercy. Thank you for justifying us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for such a great salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for pouring out your blood to wash us and to set us free. Father, in Jesus' name, I lift up this morning, God, this congregation, God, those that are listening online. I pray this morning, God, that you would uh, release, God, uh, fresh Liberty God fresh understanding God fresh revelation God of who you are and what you've done for us In Jesus name As every head is bowed and every eye is closed this morning um, praise God if you're not right with God God loves you with an everlasting love a mind-boggling love a love that you can experience and a peace and a joy beyond all understanding the Bible says so if you're here this morning or you're listening online and you're not right with God, God wants to touch you this morning. I just want to ask you, if anyone here is, uh, would like to receive Jesus as their Savior or if you're backslidden, and you want to get right with God, you just signify that to God with an uplifted hand. God knows we're not here to embarrass anybody. We want to love you as a church. We love you as a people. We love to see God touch lives and hearts and anyone at all, <clears throat> you need salvation. Jesus wants to touch you. Praise God. With that, let's all pray uh, this prayer. case anyone listening online uh, needs salvation. Lord Jesus, thank you for going to the cross, taking my place, shedding your blood, giving your life for mine. Thank you for taking the punishment that I deserved Thank you for raising again from the dead. Thank you for being the Lord of my life. Amen. Praise God. Well, let's stand to our feet.